Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about being a younger woman with breast cancer. Of the 53 people diagnosed with breast cancer every day, two of them will be aged between 20 and 39. Today we're joined by Rebecca Benstead, who was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 30. Welcome, Beck. Hello. You found your own ping pong ball, as yes, you've just described it. Yes, I did. I was actually early evening, sitting on the couch, come home from my friend's wedding, actually, having a good stretch... So I got my arms under my armpits, just, you know, having a bit of a play, just wiping the sweat from you because it was late March. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And just kind of that moment where you go, I can't ignore that. And, like, from that moment on, it was just kind of like, I have cancer. I can't, it can't not be. So did you regularly, you were only 30 at the time, did yeah. you regularly check your breasts? Or? No. I, I was more of the when I remember I'll check. Um, and no family history? No family history at all. Um, and also it was really bad because I always remembered to check around that time of the month, which your boobs aren't what they normally are that time of the month compared to the other, t- other times. So you feel your lymph nodes and you feel all these things and they're normally bigger. So it was just, I was all out of whack. Never, never consistent. So your hunch was right. It was Mm -hmm. stage three. Mm -hmm. What was the treatment? I had 18 months of chemo. Started off with a very aggressive Red Devil AC treatment, which is a red drug, which I learned later on that even when they tested it on rats and did their research, all their insides were red. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was kind of like a like a funny story I could tell my son at the time, like, oh, did you know I'm red on the inside at the moment? He's, he thought I was like some sort of superhero type thing. Um, but, yeah, so 18 months of chemo, 24, 28 days of radiation. Um, and, yeah. How was that? I actually hated radiation way more than chemo. Why? Fatigue just got me. It was... And I had radiation after my mastectomy and it opened up my scar. And it just, that coupled with fatigue, coupled with everything else that you got to do. And as well as going to work, being a mum, being back, I'm just like, I can't bother. But you can't stop midway through. So you had your treatment and then a single mastectomy. Yep. Did you consider having a double? Um, I did, but... In the beginning, I actually went in just before I started my treatment when I when I got all the information about it and I said, just take it. I don't trust it, just take it. But my surgeon and my oncologist were like, well, you're only 30. We really don't want to take your breast if we don't have to. And I'm like, well, you're not the one that's got to walk around with it. Just, it's fine. Oh, it's 
fed my child. It's it's done. I'm done. I don't like it. Don't want it. Um, but anyway, I was like, oh, look, okay, I'll go through treatment and I'll just see what happens. And my chemo actually got rid of all my cancer. There was nothing there. So when I went in for my surgery, they had my, my, I had two surgeries. My first surgery was to just take out a couple of clips that they had inserted into the tumour so that they knew where it was in the event it no longer was there. So my first surgery was to take those out. But during that surgery, they found 100 mils of precancer tissue, which were in my breast. So I was 100% going to get it back if I didn't take it. So I just said, take it. So they did. Um, but because I have no family history and I had submitted for genetic testing and there was nothing irregular, they said, we're not going to take a healthy organ. So okay. that was that. How did you feel about losing a breast? Um, I was really okay with it right up until they wheeled me into the anaesthetic room. Um, I had the shits, I had some tears, but it, it wasn't more like I had lost something. It was that feeling that I'm actually having to go through it. So I had my little unfair moment and then it was about a minute and a half and then I'm like, no, nah, don't want it. It's ugly and it looks sick anyway, so just chop it off. Okay, so what was the impact? You've got a, a son who's now seven, so he was five yep. at the time. Once you were diagnosed, you already had a child. Yep. Did you have to consider fertility? Yes. Okay. Um, it was actually probably the most asked question by my doctors. Um, I and my husband Aaron were really lucky that we had decided not to have more children. Prior to the diagnosis. Prior to diagnosis. Patrick's got enough personalities to keep <laughs> us really occupied. So that was good. Um, and I had mentioned that to them. They've gone, well, you know, if we do let chemo affect your ovaries, which if they are active, they will do, then... There's no th turning back. No yeah. turning back. You'll need to have them out eventually. And that's just drugs from this point on to until you get into menopause. And I said, okay what's the other option? And they said, Zolodex. Let's shut down your ovaries. If they're shut down, sitting there doing nothing, chemo won't affect them. So that was incorporated into my treatment. It was a monthly injection into the abdomen, which shut down my ovaries. Um, and after treatment, you just stop the injections and they will start back up and running whenever they feel like it, which they did. So it was good. What was the impact on your young family, like husband and oh. small child? How much did you tell him? How much did you think he needed to know? How much did he sense for himself that things weren't quite right? Um, I kind of couldn't help myself. I did tell him that I was sick the day I was diagnosed just because I wasn't at work. I was completely out of routine. He had spent the night at Nanny and Pa's house the night before. Um, so I did have to – I felt like I had to tell him something. Um but it, it was more like, I'm sick, it, it's more than the flu, but I'm going to do my best to get better. And it was straight to, cool, mum, do we have any chocolate? <laughs> so That's enough was, about you, that's now it. it's about me. That's <laughs> it. He, and then over time, over time, over time, he'd ask a little bit more and he'd ask a little bit more. And as he got older and as the time went on, he began to understand what cancer was, what it meant to me, what it does mean to a wide variety of people. Um, 
but he, I, I kept it honest and age appropriate. It's probably the best way to describe it. On a day-to-day basis, how did it affect the family? Um, well, I didn't quite look like mum anymore. I had no hair very quickly. Um, did you consider the cooling cap? No. Wasn't a thing for me. When they said you'd have to come in like two hours before, you'd be there practically all day, I'm just like, it's too much time. And it's like a 50-50 thing too. And I was just like, no, I was like really eager to shave my head. So actually myself and Patrick, we a week before chemo started, we went and we shaved our heads at the hairdressers. The hairdresser tried to talk me out of it. She's like, let's just go a little bit. Just, you know, just not the full shave. And I'm like, I'm going to lose it anyway. Just shave it. And I actually felt really quite liberated walking out of the the hairdresser. It was really nice. And was that something to share with Patrick about what yeah, was happening? Definitely. It was it was something we could do together, something to make it a little less frightening and confronting, I think, because So you did that was, prior to your hair starting to fall out in yes. clumps? Also too, because I had heard that once your hair does start to fall out and then if you proceed to shave it, it can be quite sensitive and sore. So I thought, no, I'll just jump the gun and do it. So you've mentioned the fatigue. Yeah. What other side effects did you Joint pain, tingling in the fingers and toes, Um, weight gain was another one with all the steroids and other things that they're going to put in your system. Nausea was a big big thing and it just seemed like no matter what nausea pill they gave me nothing was gonna work absolutely nothing it was like morning sickness but on steroids it was terrible so how did you deal with that did you just have to suck it up or did you develop ways to do things until it had passed a bit of both um, like I'd, I'd sit and have my not fair moments most of the time on the base of the shower and just sit there because like the hot water was just nice. It was like a calming thing and, of course, with the drain there and if I had to vomit, it was all there and I didn't have to clean it up. Um, That's actually a really practical thought process. Yeah, yeah. it was just not – I was just like, it'll just go down the drain, I won't see it, it'll be over, it'll be fine. Um, How much time did you spend on the base of the shower then? Oh, sometimes it would be 40 minutes. It was terrible. Yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, I can't sit here anymore. I have to get up. And then it was just like back to bed, really. Okay. And did you stop work? No. I actually worked all the way through. Was that your choice or you felt you didn't have a choice? No, I had a choice and my employer was incredibly supportive. Um, But I felt like I just needed to keep a routine going not just for myself but for my family as well I'm not always the sit and feel sorry for myself type person so if I still feel like I have a routine and I have a way to socialize with people and not be in an area where I'm going to sit and think too much about myself and my own things that I'm going through if I can just have a little bit of normality that was really good for me. So did you reduce your hours or did you find that you'd go home earlier some days? How did you manage it? My employer kind of left it to me. Um, A lot of the time I felt like I can do my normal eight-hour day, which was really good. Um, On the days I had chemo, sometimes I would take the whole day off, sometimes I'd do half a day. Um, But I just kind of tried to keep as normal as I could. 
BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through. Read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network. You went through the public system. Yeah. How was that experience for you? I actually found it really lovely. Peter Mac is a really great place to be and it was actually a place where I actually felt I needed to be. So when I got my referrals from my GP, they were to two private GPs. My, the first number I called, got an answering machine, so I'm like, cool, scrap, I don't need you. The second number I called, I was able to get in the very next day And before I even mentioned Peter Mac, he said, look, I will evaluate you, but I'm actually going overseas next week. I'm going to give you a referral to my mate who, Michael Henderson, he's a surgeon at Peter Mac, you can go there. So I just felt like all my stars were aligning, not just because that I was in Port Melbourne, so Peter Mac was easier commute and it was close to home, but... I just felt it, I just needed to be there. And it all worked out in the end, so it was really good. So you had your single mastectomy. Yeah. And now we're a couple of years on. Yeah. And you haven't had reconstruction. Nope. Why is that? I had spoken to a few people who had jumped the gun, so to speak, and done it really early and actually had done it at the time of their mastectomy. Some prior to further treatment, some not. People who had had radiation following the mastectomy, I found, and they found, that the radiation completely buggered up the construction. Wow. And I knew going in that I was going to have radiation, so that was my first thought. I'm like, I don't need to have that right now. Mm-hmm. My second thought was, I'm not 100% sure that I want it. Which is, we find at BCNA not uncommon mm. for older women, mm. but for younger women, yep. and you're still in your early 30s, mm. breasts are still very much part of a body yep. image, but you don't no. have that attachment? I think it's different for everybody. In my case, I am happily married, I have a child and I wasn't having any more, so I think I feel very grounded in my place in life and it's not something that I necessarily need to feel a particular way or to impress a particular way. Um, And I think because I had lost so much trust in the left breast, um, it just needed to go. And I think while it's away and while I'm still transitioning into this new Rebecca, it's nice not to have a worry there. What's the difference between the new Rebecca and the old Rebecca? Oh, God. It's full circle. I was super anxious before. Hated taking risks. Very unsure of my own self, my own position in the whole wide world. Um, And now I just have not a not care attitude, but just like life's so much bigger than whatever problem 
I have going on that's kind of like a first world problem, so to speak. A little more risky, although I still do like my feet on the ground. Um, but I just made a conscious effort to try and do things that are outside my comfort zone. Like taking off your top to appear exactly. in a national breast campaign. Exactly. I would have never done that before, never even thought about it. I also scuba dived with sharks, so that was another thing. <laughs> was that a bucket list thing before the breast cancer or that's like, no. I'm going to do this, Yep. the new brave Rebecca? Yep. Just touching on the Pink Bun campaign mm-hmm. that you were involved Yep. in, what was that experience like? So you oh, were so you were uh, naked from the waist I up and, and you were showing there's just one breast? I was. It was so much fun and I didn't think it would be so much fun. I thought I would have more apprehension than I did. Um, I brought Patrick along with me and he had ace of a time. He loved it. He had a great time talking with John and and his friends. Um, They were trying to explain to him that if I asked him how many lollies he'd have, he'd just hold up like half the amount of fingers and what he lollies he ate. So he he had a great time. Um, It was – I found like a really – kind of like a, a, a reunion of people who had never met before. It was like we all had one thing in common and we'd all been through it very differently but been through it. Um, it's like this little camaraderie of, of people and it was like, felt very comfortable from the get-go. So good. Which is what we like to think of BCNA is just a big community mm. of people exactly. with breast cancer being supported. Oh. You sort of sat back, I mean, aside from the campaign... Yeah. You sat back on the sidelines of getting involved, either in the online or yep. in seminars or anything yep. like that, just participating. Why, why was that? And what flipped your mind to I become a bit more involved? I think, too, when you go through breast cancer treatment and you have so many people in your face and in your bits and you, you're going through every test and you're going through so many appointments and it's a lot to take in, so I think when that's all over, you kind of got to sit back and reflect a little bit. And for me, about halfway through my treatment, I started to do that. And then halfway outside, about six months outside, I kind of felt like I was on the other side of it a little bit. Um, so I went to the Young Women's Conference that was had. And just sitting and listening to other people and hearing stories of people who had went through it, who were going through it now, it was just kind of comforting to know, you know, you're not alone. It's it's not something you have to go through alone and it's not something you have to be, you know, raising banners for either. You know, you can choose to be as committed to or not committed at all to raising awareness. Um, but I felt like... I needed to be someone who could raise a little bit of information, not just for my own family or friends, but for the people who don't necessarily feel like they have anywhere to go or anyone to turn to. You clearly have a supportive husband and a a very active son and a Mm -hmm. terrific family unit. What is something that BCNA as a... Um, support network was Mm -hmm. able to give you that perhaps your friends or family couldn't? Well, 
like I said, I had I had no family history of breast cancer, so there's always got to be the first one to go through it. So that was me. Um, I can't put myself in my husband's shoes and kind of think about what he went through. He saw what I went through, but at the end of the day, he doesn't necessarily know how I felt, doesn't know the worries you have, you know, at the 3am when you're wide awake going, I can't get to sleep. Um, So it's great to be able to turn to an organisation such as BCNA who have people there and have ways to help you for any question that you have, not necessarily about cancer itself, about lifestyles after, what you might expect. It was kind of like a place you could turn to to ask the hard question that you don't necessarily want to worry other people about. So that's how I felt. So you're at the other end, so to speak. I am. Are you ruling out reconstruction or you just want to sit on it for a while? I just want to sit on it for a while. Um, It's not until probably the last six months where I actually felt like my body was acting like my body again, processing things. So we're talking two years on now? Yeah. Um, Joint pain is getting less and less. My hunger for life, so to speak, actually wanting to get out of the house, wanting to do new things, wanting to work out, wanting to go for a swim, wanting to eat healthier, all these things just feel like I'm getting aspects of the old Rebecca back, but kind of new and improved. Um, So I just want to keep going down that path and just not put my body through it until I'm 100% ready and committed to doing that. So it really, for many people, once the treatment stops, Mm. the wider circle, if you like, Mm. tends to forget that you've had breast cancer Mm. and you're trying to navigate the new you and all of that. What It's obviously taken some time. So what would your message to someone, not necessarily younger, but anyone that has gone through breast cancer and treatment... Mm -hmm and the aftermath, what mm-hmm. would, what's your key takeaway, your, your key learning? My learning is that it takes time and it's sometimes a really hard pill to swallow um, but you have to allow yourself the time to heal. For everyone that's different, sometimes it's just physically, sometimes it's mentally, emotionally, some people go through a spiritual change. I was not the type of person who 100% changed their diet afterwards. I wasn't like, I'm going to eat everything that can be juiced or only eat white meat or all these things. Um, For me, it was just about getting comfortable with how my body is now. It's it's very similar to after you have a baby. Your body doesn't work the way it used to. Um, There's new things that hurt. There's there's, uh, new things that take time. For me, my wrists aren't what they used to be. So tennis, which was a big part of my life before treatment, isn't so much now. But yeah, it takes time. And I think just give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. Allow yourself the time. Try something new. It just not you're not going to have the same thoughts or the same feelings as you had before and that's completely okay. Um, now's the time. It's, it's like almost like you're a teenager before you're an adult again. Make some mistakes. Find out what you like. If it doesn't work, that's really okay. So how's life for you now then? Really good. I like to call myself boringly normal now. I actually recently had my one-year checkup, my mammogram and ultrasound and I walked into Michael Henderson at Peter Mac and I said... 
oh yeah, how he does, and he's he's like, hey mate, how's it going? You know, how you been? Like really good, boringly normal, and he's like, well, your results are boringly normal too. I'll see you in a year. So I ended up waiting longer than I was in there. I think I was in there five minutes, um, but it was it was really good. Just taking my time, kind of enjoying the little things, and help build up my son to focus on the things that he wants to focus on now, which is really nice. Well, congratulations on being beautifully, boringly normal. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today on Upfront, which has been made possible with thanks to Suzanne. You can find more information about issues affecting young women with breast cancer on our website, bcna.org.au, or on our My Journey online tool at myjourney.org.au. The opinions of our guests are welcome, but not necessarily shared by BCNA. If you have any individual concerns, please contact your health professional. And if you like this episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Kelly Curtin. Thanks for being upfront with us.